today our scripture is uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Let me read it to you. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Oh, man. There sure are a lot of people in the temple today. Yeah. Oh, this is a beautiful gate. Do you know what it's called? A beautiful gate. Yeah. I wonder what its name is. No, John, that's the name, Beautiful Gate. Oh. Is something wrong? You see that guy over there? You mean the man begging? Yeah. He's lame. Of course he's lame, Peter. That's why he's begging. I think Jesus wants us to heal him. Peter, you're kidding me. I mean, we're in enough danger already. The, the last thing we ought to do is, is draw attention to our, ourselves, but... Uh, excuse me. No, uh, I have no silver or gold to give you, but, but what I do have you, in the name of Jesus... Uh, uh, right. Here's half a shekel. Excuse us a moment. Peter, what are you doing? I told you, I think Jesus wants us to heal that man. Do you know how stupid you're going to feel when you try to heal this man and it doesn't work? I mean, you'll crush his hopes. His friends will all get mad at you. I mean, they'll get mad at us. They'll pull us in front of Sanhedrin. I mean... I guess that's a chance we got to take, John. Oh, sure. I mean, rise up and walk. Get up, I say. Come on, you can do it. Peter, this is scary. Yeah. You know how much trouble we could get into? Yeah, but do you know what it could mean to this man if we did it? And what our witness would be for Jesus? If it works... Yeah, if it works. But remember, John, Jesus sent us out in pairs, and he said we would be able to, to preach with power and to cast out demons and to heal the lame. Yes, I remember. Well, it worked, John. You did it. So did I. It was, it was incredible. But that was then. I mean, Jesus was right here with us, waiting for us. Praying for us. I mean, he told us to do it. And he's gone now. I, know. I don't know when he's coming back. I know, John. I feel the same way. At least I did until Pentecost. I mean, I'm still scared lots of the time. But I'll tell you, Jesus said he would send his spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, I just I felt in my heart like anything Jesus wanted us to do, we could do it in his name. And if we get arrested? Well, then we get arrested. Peter, this could be the end for us. Yeah. Or the beginning of something too wonderful to imagine. Okay, I'm with you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, no, 
we don't have any money to give you. I mean, we're poor men like you are. But um, what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That was the Orchard Hill Repertory Company there. (laughs) You guys will probably not know Trey. Trey Schubach. Uh, Trey's dad, uh, Rick, shared from Stories of the Seats, from the Seats, you may remember that. And Trey leads worship often at Grundy Center. And I was asking him um, if he'd ever been in, in this particular worship service before, and he said, once. So thanks for helping out with that, Trey. Well, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, I think had tried really hard to be that thing, a follower of Jesus Christ. And it must have been fairly easy and clear during those three years that Jesus was here. Jesus would tell them what to do, and they would do it, right? Even if they didn't understand exactly why he wanted them to do it. He would say, go into the town, and you'll find a donkey and tied with a colt, bring it to me, and they would do it. Jesus would say, roll the stone away from Lazarus's tomb and they would do it. Jesus would say, have everybody sit down on the grass and bring me the little boy's lunch and they would do it. But now everything has changed because Jesus is gone. And they are still wanting, I think, very much to be followers of Jesus. But it's suddenly become, I think, a lot less clear, a lot riskier than it had been before. Because now they're depending upon the Holy Spirit. And it it changed things a lot not to have Jesus there the way they had had him there before. Uh, what if they're wrong? What if they're mistaking what they think is God's will when it really isn't? been so easy with Jesus, and now suddenly it's a lot riskier for them. But they take a chance, don't they? And so it seems to me that this story in the third chapter of the book of Acts is one of those first times when the disciples, particularly Peter and John, sort of experience what it's like to walk in faith with Jesus Christ after his ascension, after he's gone back to heaven. And uh, it's an amazing story. In fact, I would hope that maybe after today when you get home, you could read the rest of this story that's found in chapter 3 and then chapter 4 of the book of Acts. Uh, Jesus, through Peter and John, heals these uh, men. Have, have you ever believed that, that God was going to heal somebody? I have. I remember once, uh, quite a few years ago, when there was a, a wonderful Christian man uh, who, who developed a brain tumor. And I believed that God was going to heal him. I don't know exactly why I felt that. I couldn't explain it at the time. I just knew in my heart that God would heal him. And so I, I prayed that way. I prayed passionately and persistently. I asked other people to join me in praying. We laid hands on him. And I remember standing beside his bed when he'd slipped into a coma, when it seemed as if the end was near. And I remember standing there praying and saying, God, if you are going to heal him, it needs to be now. And a few hours later, he died. So for us today, as for the disciples back then, I think it's a little risky for us. I would guess that maybe Peter and John had some doubts the way Trey and I tried to portray it, that maybe they didn't have the confidence that they would develop over time as they followed the Holy Spirit. 
what would you have felt if you had been in their situation? I think for me, even if I had believed in healing, even if I had believed in the power of Jesus through His Spirit to heal someone through us, it it would have been scary. Here's a guy who's sitting in one of the sort of main traffic areas in the city of Jerusalem, this beautiful gate leading into the temple. Many, many people there. This is a man who was well-known. He had been in that location begging for a long, long time. I think I would have wanted to, to maybe play it down a little bit. Yes, I think we can heal him. How about if I stop by your house, you know, later tonight and we could talk about it then, rather than doing it right there in front of everybody in the temple. I mean, what if it didn't work? What if he wasn't healed? How would people feel? How would the man feel? He would be crushed. You know, people would think that the disciples were fakes. They would think the resurrection was a hoax. It might even end up that they would be the next ones, you know, marched outside the city walls to that hill called Golgotha. Seems to me like they were making, taking a big, a big chance. But Jesus does heal him through these two disciples, doesn't he? In fact, think about what this healing was like. This was, this was the way God heals. I mean, this is a man, later on, uh, we're told that he was more than 40 years old, and it says he's been lame from birth. So that means this 40-year-old man had never in his life taken a single step. What would his legs have been like? We don't know the cause of his being lame, were the bones misshapen. But we know this, if he had never used his legs, there would be no muscle in his legs, no thigh muscle, no calf muscle. He would never have walked. He would not know how to walk. And so it seems to me like if Jesus had healed him the way we think of healing, it might have been something like this. You know, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he takes him by the hand and he lifts him to his feet. And the guy's kind of going like this. And then Peter says, okay, if, listen, if some of you could help this guy back to his house, um, on Monday morning, I want you to start physical therapy three days a week. And hey, I think within a couple of years, you're going to be walking. Yeah, let's hear it for Jesus. What kind of healing was it? The Bible says they helped him to his feet and suddenly he was totally healed. He was not only able to stand, he was able to walk. Jesus healed the bones, gave the legs muscle, did whatever needed to be done to his legs, and gave him the ability to walk. And so it wasn't this kind of a thing... What does the Bible say? It was this kind of a thing. The guy was walking and leaping and praising God. No wonder it caused such a big stir. I mean, here's a guy who could not walk. He's not doing this sort of thing. The guy is jumping up and down. He's running all around the temple courtyard telling people what has happened. It was a total healing. But there were consequences to it. There were consequences for Peter and John for healing this man. And if you go on and read the rest of the story, they get in a lot of trouble for this. They are arrested by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leading council. They are put in jail. They're brought before the Sanhedrin. They are almost tried. They are instructed never to do this kind of thing again and to stop talking about Jesus. Jesus. 
It's interesting, isn't it, that even when we do what we know to be the right thing, very often there are consequences to it. Doing the right thing isn't always easy or fun or painless, is it? And yet these guys wanted to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so they were willing to take big steps, risky steps of faith in order to be a follower of his. So here's what I want to do. I want to make three um, quick points, and then I want to wind things up by telling you a story of my own. So the first thing I think I, I want to stress is that we need to pray big prayers. And, and this has really grown out of my life and my experiences recently. I think most of my Christian life, I probably have not prayed big enough prayers. That my faith has not been big enough. Remember that beautiful benediction in the book of Ephesians where uh, Paul writes about Jesus? Let me read to you what it says there. This is Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To get that, now that him was able to do immeasurably more than we ask. That's the kind of God we believe in. That's the kind of God we are following who is able to do so much more than we even have the courage to ask. I'm convinced I haven't prayed big enough prayers. I have asked God for an inch and God gives a mile. He is a great God, a powerful God. There is nothing that he cannot do. We need to to pray big prayers. We need to take risky steps of faith to follow this incredible God. Because I believe that when we do that, God is honored by our faith. God is honored by our willingness you know, to step out as followers of his. Jesus says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everybody who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. So what is keeping the Spirit of God from working in our world and in our church and in our families and in our lives? It's not God. It's not because God is not able to. It's not because God does not want to. I think maybe it's because we don't pray those big prayers. We don't take those risky steps of faith. And And for me personally, I feel like I'm in a time in my life where my faith and confidence in God's ability to do so much more than we would even have the courage to ask. And it's just grown so much. So, that's point number one. I I firmly believe that we need to pray bigger prayers than we usually pray. Second thing is that when we follow God, we need to realize that there's no guarantee that God is going to do what we ask Him to do. Now, that almost seems contradictory to what I just quoted you, Jesus, saying, right? Ask and you will receive. But when we pray, we realize, right, that He is God and that we are not. And we don't tell God what to do. God tells us what to do. We don't control God. God controls us. Even with that in mind, we still can have such confidence in a God who is able to do more than we would dare to ask or think. I, I have really been thinking a lot about this the last few weeks as I've been preparing for this teaching. And one of the things I realize is I, I'm not sure 
that I really believe that God uh, is able or willing to do some of the things I would like to ask him to do. And, and I, let me give you an example, and maybe this is true for some of you as well. Let's say you hear that uh, there's someone in the church who has, has just been diagnosed with cancer, but it's, it's stage one cancer, it's probably totally contained, and they're going to uh, do surgery and then follow it up with chemo. And so what do I pray when I hear about someone like that? I pray that God will heal that person. And I pray with a lot of confidence, believing that God will. Now, let's say I hear about another person who has stage four cancer. They just found out it's, it's really too late. The cancer has um, riddled through their body. They're given maybe three or four weeks of life. How do I pray for that person? I hate to say it, but I think the prayer I usually pray for someone at that point is, I pray that God will let them die quickly. I pray that they won't have to suffer much. I pray for comfort for their family. What's wrong with that picture? You know. So if I really believe that God is a God who is able to heal, do I believe that God is able, he's big enough to heal stage one cancer, but stage four cancer, probably a little beyond what God is able to do? I'm not sure that in my heart of hearts, God even plays a role in that. I mean... If I'm really honest, I think when I'm praying that God would heal the stage one cancer, what I'm really thinking is, medically, they're probably going to get rid of that cancer in that person's life. And in stage four cancer, it's beyond what the doctors can do. And so I don't really believe that there's anything God can do. I don't, I don't want to have that kind of faith because I know that our God is not that kind of a God. There is never going to be a situation where God is going to say, oh, that is so complex. You don't understand all involved in that, but I think, you know, I don't want to get involved in that. There's never going to be a problem so deep that God is going to say, I'm sorry, you know, that one is too big for me. You know, never a crisis in our lives where God is going to say, this is out of control, I'm sorry, I'm backing off from this. Our God is a God who is able to do more than we would ever dare even to ask of Him. So we don't tell God what to do, but we have faith that God is able to do whatever we ask of Him. And then, in fact, God is anxious to answer our prayers. Third thing, then, is that there are consequences to following Jesus, aren't there? There were consequences for Jesus. There were consequences for Peter and John and the other early followers in those first 50 days. And Jesus got in trouble not because he couldn't heal, but because he, who, because he could, right? And so he has the man with the withered hand stretch it out, and Jesus heals him in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he gets into trouble because he was able to heal. He cast out a legion of demons from a demonically possessed man, and Jesus gets in trouble because he was able to drive out demons. And Peter and John get in trouble not because they were not able to heal that man in the temple. They got in trouble because they were able to do it. And we just need to recognize that Often when we follow Jesus Christ, we've got to expect that there are going to be consequences to our actions, that sometimes the consequences are painful, sometimes they are difficult, but we pray and obey anyway. That's my bumper sticker motto for today. Pray and obey anyway. If you believe God is leading you to do it, 
if it's something that you feel like you have asked of God, you know, pray big prayers, take risky steps of obedience, and let God worry about the consequences. Um, I want to conclude then by telling you a story uh, from my own life. You, you remember right around Easter, I told a story of a rag man. Some of you remember that? And I told the story in the first person as if it was something that I had experienced. It, w- it was not a true story. It was based on a poem um, that I had read. And I apologize if that caused some confusion to some people. Let me just say, the story I'm going to tell you now is a true story from my life that took place about 40 not about, it took place 40 years ago. And I told God that I would never stop telling the story. And so I tell it to you today because it encourages my faith and hopefully it will encourage yours as well. When I graduated from seminary, Sally and I moved to Denver, Colorado, and I was a youth pastor there. And we had a really musically gifted uh, youth sponsor and so a lot of what we did as a youth group centered around music and we prepared a christian musical that we were going to present and uh, we decided we would take the kids on a choir trip over spring break and uh, this was a, a church that had never done anything like that before and a lot of the parents were hesitant to let their kids know kind of like what brad was talking about a few minutes ago and it was going to be kind of expensive. And so I said to the kids, you know, let's don't nag your folks about it. Just tell them that this is something we're doing. I'd be happy to talk to them. And let's just let God convince them. At first, a lot of the parents said that their kid couldn't go on the trip. And so we just, just prayed really hard. And it seemed like every Wednesday night or Sunday morning, some kid would come running in saying, I can go, I can go, you know. And that was a huge thing to them. Because I remember some of the kids, you know, saying... Even God can't change my dad's mind. You know, once dad says no, that's it. And so one by one, it just seemed like God was working in the hearts of those parents and the kids were able to go so that by the time we left on the trip, every single kid in the group had been given permission to go. The trip was going to go from Denver down to Albuquerque, over to Phoenix, San Diego, Los Angeles. And then we were even going to stop in Las Vegas on our way home. For lunch, we were stopping for lunch on our way home. This was a neat musical, and part of what was involved in it was there was almost like an intermission in the middle of it, where the narration talked about, uh, you know, confessing our faults to one another and praying for one another so that we might be healed. And so at that point in in the concert, we'd kind of take this break, and the kids would actually go out into the audience and ask people if there's something they could pray for for them. It was a it was a meaningful time. Uh, we were singing at a church in San Diego, and uh, the church the choir trip was about half over. And uh, there was a gal who came to the concert that evening in the church, a high school girl who was in a wheelchair. She was a paraplegic. She had been in an automobile accident. And uh, so we got to that point in the, in the musical where the kids would go out and talk to people. And several of the kids went out and, and talked to this girl, met her, found out a little bit about her story. Every night before we would uh, go to bed, I say bed, the church floor, uh, Every night we would get together and we'd sing a little and worship and pray. And, and that night we talked about this girl because I think the kids really felt with someone like them, a high school student, you know, who was unable to do so many of the things that they enjoyed doing because of her condition.
The next day, we were going to give a concert on the beach in San Diego. Uh, One of the kids had a sister who had an apartment sort of near the beach. And so we ran about three and a half miles of extension cords, you know, across streets, down, you know, out, out to the beach so we could plug in our amps and speakers and mics and all that sort of stuff. And we were going to present a concert there on the beach. It was not a great day uh, weather-wise, um, and so there weren't a lot of people there. The big consolation, however, was the fact that we were so loud, the kids just felt like they were witnessing to people all over, you know, whether they wanted to hear it or not. This young lady who had been in the concert the night before had said she was hoping she'd be able to come to our concert uh, on the beach. And so sure enough, she came. Uh, the parking lot was like, half a block or so down the beach and her parents brought her and of course she wasn't able to use her wheelchair in the sand so I remember really clearly the one of the youth sponsors uh, walking down the beach to get her and uh, picking her up and carrying her in his arms down the beach and setting her on a blanket in front of us because there weren't a lot of people there uh, listening to us when we got to that sort of intermission in the uh, in the concert, several of the kids went over to uh, to talk to her, and I could see them gathered around here on the uh, on the blanket. And I was sitting there in the in the sand watching them, and all of a sudden it hit me what was happening. I realized those stupid kids think God can heal her, and He's not going to heal her, and it's going to destroy their faith. It's probably going to ruin the rest of the trip, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to handle this sort of crisis. And I remember sitting there and looking at them and thinking, God, you know, I don't, I don't even know if you do this kind of thing anymore, but if you could heal that girl, it would change my life. It would change the lives of these kids. And I sat and watched as she stood up and walked. I don't pray big enough prayers. I don't believe in a big enough God. I don't take risky enough steps of faith. Our God is so great, so big. There's a place when, uh, in this story about Peter and John when... Uh, They've been arrested and they're released again and they go back with their Christians and they, and they pray. And they don't pray that God would keep them from any kinds of consequences, never let them be arrested again. Let me just read you quickly from uh, Acts chapter 4, part of what Peter prays. He says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs, signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I I want that to be my prayer for my life. I want it to be my prayer for you and for us as a church. God, stretch out your mighty hand. Do mighty things in the name of Jesus Christ, and we will follow you. We will pray, and we will obey anyway. So let's, uh, let's do that. Let's pray right now. Lord God, um, you are so much bigger and greater than we will ever be able to fully understand. I have a feeling that even in, when we get to heaven and see you face to face, we're still going to just marvel at who you are, the kind of being that you are. 
Thank you that you are a God who is at work in the world, actively, powerfully at work. Forgive us, Lord, for our lack of faith. Forgive us for for doubting that you are able to do what we ask of you. And forgive us for those times, sort of on the other hand, when we feel like we can control you and that if we just pray the right way and say the right words and you're obligated to do what we ask. You are God, we are not. And yet we rely upon your power and your strength. God, make us courageous Christians. Make us Christians of great faith who experience great things through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.